Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Randy. And we are talking about slavery. Yeah, yeah. As the music dies out, what do you think about you and I doing an acoustic version of that? Uh, you can do guitar or boards, and I'll I'll play on the mandolin. And... I I like how we just like <laughs> drop the bomb that we're like we're talking about slavery this episode, and Randy's like, "What if we covered this song?" <laughs> this All right, no name song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so you know, to answer I... your question. No. No. <laughs> gotcha. She, so you asked me just before we went on here, are you ready? And I said, yeah. I want to change that. <laughs> okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm ready for this, but here we go anyway. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, honestly, um, there are much more educated um well, that goes without about. saying. Yeah, I mean, like, like there are better people to talk about this issue than us. But the deal is, we're an apologetics podcast. Yeah. And we want to be able to talk about important stuff. And here's the deal. If you know the Word of God, even just enough, you can you can figure this conversation out. And, and that's why we're doing this. Kind of typically, that's what we do. We just yeah. go straight to Scripture and says, well... You know, here's what scripture we'll, says. We'll go straight now, to scripture. I might listen to a couple people talk yeah, on the issue, yeah, read a couple yeah. book or you know, some a couple chapters of a book or something. Right, like right, get right. prepped. But like we're not experts on every topic on here. It's all about going back to the word. That's we're the point. Not experts on any of the topics that we've talked about so far. <laughs> um why slavery? Why why did you want to talk about slavery today? Yeah. Um with race relations in our current state in this nation i think it's i think it's necessary um i think that there is a man there's a lot of reasons for it um i i think it's super super important that the church know what the church is that the church knows what the bible says mm-hmm. that the church can stand firm together as brothers and sisters, even when the rest of the world's fallen to pieces, um, because we know the truth that Jesus has revealed to us, that God has revealed to us, and and through Jesus. Um, But, you know, I I think we can address, you know, the way people might think about the Bible. I hear people talk about slavery in the Bible, and they think that it's Okay. A, a supported thing by scripture. Yeah. Um, I, I hear that argument sometimes. I I've heard I hear progressive Christians make that claim um, that that the Bible supports slavery, and the issue is that that's just not true. Right, right, and right. that that's why we need to talk about it. Um, right. I understand how somebody at a first glance, um, if they're not well studied or if they just maybe don't want to believe what scripture actually says. Um, to further their own agenda, they, they could read scripture and, and twist it and make it say that slavery is fine. You could do that. Yeah. Um, we did that in this country for, for sure hundreds of years yeah. Yeah. with the slave trade, and we'll get into all that. Um, yeah, we, we twisted up scriptures and tried to make it seem like it was right. Or, you know, I say we, but, you know, slave owners did that. Right, right. Um, but, like, we we have to learn what scripture actually says. We can't just can't just make it up. Right, 
Right. Or just assume, well, Christians are like this, so the Bible must say that. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Christians may be like this, and they may be disobeying what Scripture says. Yeah, that that's happened a lot. That it, happens a unfortunately, lot. Unfortunately, it still does. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Um, and we all do that in some capacity. I mean, no, nobody's perfect this side of eternity, you know, but... Right. Um, some try a little harder than others. Uh, with that said, though, I think we should dig in and just okay. kind of talk about what what is slavery in the Bible. I was amazed. So I did what I typically do, and you did what you typically do. Um, you'll consult the experts and come back with something really coherent. I look at Scripture and come back with a hodgepodge of different ideas. But the thing that amazed me... Uh, first of all, I, I used uh, Logos uh, software, and I looked up all of the occurrences of three words, three words in the Old Testament for slave. Uh, the first one is Ebed, mm-hmm. 800 times. Troy and Ebed in the morning. Troy and Ebed in the morning, right. <laughs> 800 times. So this is not a little used word. This is really common. Now, that's the generic word for slave, and it's used specifically for male slaves. There are two other words, shifha and ama, and they're both for female slaves. Mm-hmm. Because scripture looks at male slaves and female slaves differently, Okay, amazingly. Um, it happens early on, just after... Uh, uh, the flood. Um, Noah comes out, and in the in the uh, episode where Noah gets drunk and he's laying on his bed naked, and Canaan comes in and mocks him, and goes out and tells his brother, tries to get them to go in and I don't know take a selfie with uh, uh, bare naked dad or mm-hmm. or whatever, and they refuse. And they go in and cover him up. Well, when Noah wakes up, he says, May Canaan be cursed. May, be he the, may he be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. So slavery exists right out of the flood. Right. And, and it's seen in negative terms. It is a curse. The word that I mentioned, ebed, uh, means, first of all, a, a servant or a slave. Uh, we see that here in this passage, may Canaan be cursed and be a slave to his brothers. But that's not the only thing. Ebed was also used to talk about the subjects of a king. Uh, mm. all, of the, and all of the citizens of a nation were considered slaves. Now, they didn't live in slavery, but it was just a way to refer to the subjects of a king. Um, The worshipers of God. Uh, They were the slaves of God. They were slaves of other gods, but with Yahweh, they were the servants of Yahweh, the slaves of Yahweh. Very same word. Prophets in particular were actually called, especially near the end of Second Kings, um, when the author talks about the prophets, 
or when the author quotes God talking about the prophets. The common way to do that is the Lord would say, my servants, the prophets, it's this word, it's slave, my slaves, the prophets. Israel as a nation is slave of the Lord. Uh, Leviticus 25, 25, I jotted down here. Let me see if I can pull it up here real quick. Sounds to me like all these definitions you're giving are to recognize someone as being indebted to someone else. Yeah. Like that you are, that somebody else has authority over you. Um. The second thing to talk about after talking about what a slave is is what does Bible say about slaves, and that's where it gets really, really interesting. Yeah, Scripture does talk. Why don't Why don't we move on to that? And here we'll get into the differences between male and female slaves. Um, okay, six different ways that you could become a slave, especially in the Old Testament, but it carries over into the New Testament. Foreigners who were captured in a war were commonly brought back to the home country and they were made slaves. Okay. Uh, Male and female. Israel actually did that too. That's what Goliath says to David when he challenges anybody to come out and fight him. He says, if you win, the Philistines will be your slaves. And if I win, then you will be the Philistine slaves. So it was kind of understood that when you lost a war, um, you weren't just sent home. Uh, You were taken as a slave to that foreign country. You could purchase slaves. That's exactly what Joseph's brothers did with him. They sold him into slavery, and uh, the, the, the caravan that was going by at the time was heading down to Egypt. They got to Egypt, and it was Potiphar who bought, who purchased Joseph as a slave. You could be born into a household as a slave. If a slave guy and a slave girl who are married and both serving as slaves, they have a child, that child is also a slave. The child is not born free. He is born as a slave of that household. Mm -hmm. You could sell yourself as a slave. You get deep enough in debt and you would say, I can't meet my bills. I sell myself to you to pay for my my, uh, debts. Um, You could get out of that. In fact, in the Old Testament, every jubilee year, slaves were to be freed. All slaves. All slaves. Right. That's and what, it, every seven? Uh, Jubilee year happens every seven years, but that's the kicker. So if you were in year five of the cycle and I sell myself into slavery, I come out two years later. Because when the Jubilee year hits, that's it. everybody is freed. In addition, the Old Testament says when you free your slave, give them wages for the time that they worked for you. So somebody sold themselves to you because of a debt that they held. Right. 
they were set free and it was your obligation to give them enough to get on their feet. It's like an indentured servitude. It really is. It really is. It's that I've made this conscious decision to serve you. Now, a slave could choose to be your slave for life, though, couldn't they? They could. Yeah. They could. And uh, that is not the master's choice, but the slave's choice. Now, specifically what that law says, and this is really covered in Exodus 21, right after the Ten Commandments, the first thing the Lord talks about is how to treat your slaves, which probably is important because what's just happened with Israel. They left Egypt as slaves. slaves. They saw how slaves were treated, and God says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So if you have slaves, here's how you treat them. And all of the regulations about slaves were actually giving rights to slaves. Right. The the slaves actually had all the same rights as or they were they were to, many of the same sorry, rights. they were to obey the same laws as mm-hmm. the masters. Like they were people just as much. Like you had you had chosen to be in a line of servitude at that point. Right. And right. so there were certain things expected of you. Right. Right? But it it like it's important first of all before we get into that to say um, that there is a huge difference between what it looked like to be a slave under God's law right, versus what happened in this country a couple hundred years ago. Or many countries. Or many countries. Right. Countries today even. Right. But right. I, think, I think the reason I say this country is mo- many people yeah. listening to this are going to be American. Right. And when they think slavery – first thing that's going to happen up here is going to be American slavery. Right, right. Um, and that is not not even remotely what happened close. in yeah. the Old Testament. Right. You want to get into some of what that looks um, like? Just, just one other thing. Uh, Israel was a slave in, in Egypt. What that actually means, um, there was uh, – you, you used the term indentured service. Uh, it's also called levies. Um when a king has a big building project, they can obligate citizens to work for those building projects for a period of time. Solomon actually did that. Solomon built a lot of buildings. He built the temple. He built uh, his own palace. He built all around Israel. Every Israelite was obliged as part of their taxes to work in construction for a certain number of weeks or months, probably as much as two months. That's a that's a significant amount of time. That's actually what Israel was doing in Egypt. It's not that they were owned by slave owners in Egypt. It's that the nation of Egypt looked at the Hebrew nation and said, you will work and build our building projects, which probably were the pyramids, Forever, Mm. full time. That is what you do if you're going to live here in this country. So that was the slavery that they suffered there. Okay, so they come out of that. Um, God says, you got to free your slaves. Uh, There were, uh, uh, first of all, the Jubilee year was a time when the slaves would go free. Mm Mm-hmm. 
except for women slaves. Okay. And they are separated by the use of two different Hebrew words that refer to women slaves. The expectation was that they were not just doing womanly duties around the house. They were concubines of the master as well. Mm -hmm. There were uh, uh, sexual things going on as well. And because of that, Scripture actually says you cannot free a woman slave. Now, if they had done that, what would have happened? Well, nobody would have married that woman because she had children. It was to protect her. It was to protect her. It was um, not only that, uh, they were obligated, Exodus chapter 21, to provide for the female slaves. Exodus 21, uh, verse 10, if a man who is married to slave wife takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the rights of the first wife to food, to clothing, and to sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she can leave as a free woman without making any payment. She gets freed if he doesn't feed her, if he doesn't provide her with clothing, basically take care of her needs. It throws in there the sexual intimacy. Um, different time period. Very different time period. Right. Uh, but the law is here to protect the slaves. Uh, it's the same passage, Exodus 21, that says, so uh, if, if you uh, enter a household as a slave, and the master gives you a wife. At the end of the Jubilee year, you can go free, but your wife and any children born in the household can't. They stay in the household. Hmm. Then it says, now if a slave says, I love my wife, I love my children, I love my master, he can choose to be a permanent slave. And there's a prescribed process for that. They pierce his ear and uh, drive the, the awl that they use to pierce his ear into the doorpost. And that's a sign that this is now a household slave. Abraham talks about Eliezer uh, as his indentured slave. And he says about Eliezer, he says to God, you haven't given me a son, so when I die, this slave will inherit my household. Now, that doesn't sound like American slavery. Uh, the slave had an elevated position. Yeah. Um, they were still a slave. But especially in Israel, their freedom was essentially guaranteed. And they were guaranteed to walk away from their time as a slave with something to help them get started with in real life. Uh, I, I do want to kind of save one other element here. I'm not talking at all about the New Testament uh, treatment of slaves. That is really different from mm -hmm. the Old Testament treatment. Yeah. And then also talking about the emancipation of slaves. How did slaves become free? Um, 
Scripture actually refers to that as well. So something I wanted to touch on uh, just while we're here. Um, up until this point, you can be listening to some of this and, and say like, well, you know, yeah, God – it looks like God is setting things in in line to to maybe protect the slaves and these mm-hmm. households and things. Um, but really doesn't that mean that he approves of this? And I think it's important and, – and I, I do want to give a shout out to Mike Winger. If you've never watched his videos, the guy's awesome. Uh, he does some really great stuff. He he talks a little bit about this and he he talks about God approving of things um, versus regulating things. Yeah. Yeah. That God doesn't always just come in and flip a society and take away every part of life that they're familiar with, um, but he does make it better. Um, a, an example of this is in uh, Matthew nineteen three through nine. Um, you want to pull that up for me, real quick, Randy? Yeah. So Matthew nineteen three to nine. You want me to go ahead and read that? Yeah, if you would. Okay. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question: Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. But since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it wasn't what God originally intended. I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless the wife has been unfaithful. Yeah. And so what you see there is Jesus saying, yeah, look, God never wanted divorce. He never wanted that at all. His intention was that a man and a woman would be married, one man and one woman. Right? Forever. Forever. And yeah. that, that was the idea of it. But you all, through the hardness of your hearts, complained your so much through your sin that God regulated this new lifestyle that you adopted. That's what's happening here. It's the same God thing. God tolerates he, he, it. He, yeah, right. And it's like – it's not his plan. It's it's what man had, had gone to do. And he was like, well, fine. If you're going to do it that way, well, then we're going to put some things in order to make this work. And um, basically we're going to limit what right, you can do. Right. And that that's important. Uh, we'll we'll kind of come back around to that. But um, you, you said something too uh, about Abraham and his uh, – Eliezer, yeah. His servant Eliezer. And the funny thing is Jesus talks about Abraham's bosom, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So he's talking to the Pharisees. And what happens? We we commonly refer to this parable as the uh, Lazarus and the rich man, right? Right. right. That Lazarus is this uh, you know servant. He's poor and he's dying. Right. He dies. The rich man wouldn't show pity on him, and then the rich man dies, and he's in hell. 
Right. And from hell, he can see uh, Lazarus, and Lazarus is in heaven. Right. And he is enjoying life, and everything's good, and, like, there's a divide between them. And uh, the rich man's in suffering and whatnot. And so you, you paints this picture of this this servant, right? He is now, he, you know, because he was a humble and good man, he's in heaven. And now this rich man who Jesus is likening to the Pharisees, right, right is now in hell, okay? Now, there's a lot of people who think this is a literal depiction of, of what hell looks like and what heaven looks like. I think Jesus is painting a picture yeah. of what it looks like, like like what your eternity might be pointing to, or sorry, right, what your right. life might be pointing to your eternity looking like. Right, right. Um, the interesting thing, though, Pharisees regarded themselves as sons of Abraham, right? But the name Lazarus is the same name, Eleazar, <laughs> that the servant of Abraham is greater incredible. than the son of Abraham and because he was humble and good. that uh, Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. Exactly. Abraham put him in his lap and he was hugging on him. Right, right. <laughs> and that, that man is, is considered greater than the supposed son of Abraham. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so yeah, like... Yeah. Jesus is for the servant. Jesus Jesus was a servant, right? That's right. Yeah. And I mean he we, we just talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He made himself a servant. He took off his uh he put a towel around his waist just right, like a servant right, would. Right. And he got down and he washed the filth and grime off of his apostles' feet at the last supper, right? Before he goes to be crucified and says, "I have made my or that none of you are above the master. You know, I'm your master. You're all below me." And so now I've made myself this low. He's proven a point. Like yeah, if I'm yeah. this low, you're down here with me. You're all servants too. Yeah. We're all called to be servants in the kingdom of God. Um, and so it's really interesting that we get that picture painted in the New Testament. Um, that is so cool. There's some other things though uh, about the New Testament uh, with slavery in the New Testament. Um, and I'm borrowing this from Mike Winger as well, that slavery does exist in the New Testament. So how common was slavery? I don't know. In the New Testament, I don't know. Old and New Testament. I remember reading one time some incredible figure, like uh, in the city of Rome, it was like 85% of the population was slave. In Rome? In Rome. In the city of Rome. So it's interesting that you say that because that was one of the points he brought up was that um, slavery was a Roman construct by the time of the New Testament, that it wasn't really a Hebrew thing. There weren't really Hebrew slaves, or at least it wasn't super common. Um, And so therefore, like the majority of slavery at that point was not under God's regulation. And the the references that you have to slaves in the New Testament, I think, are pretty much all references to Romans who have slaves. The right. Roman centurion had a slave, right. and when Paul writes his letters, it's it's Roman names that he's writing to, and they have slaves, right? And so we see Jesus talk about you know advice for slaves. Right, yeah, that happens. Yep. Um, we can't confuse that as Jesus saying this is good, 
right? Right. That's not what he's doing. Um, for instance, like he's saying, this is reality. Right. This is the reality. Um, you know, we're given advice as Christians for how to live when we're persecuted. The Bible doesn't say, you know, yay persecution. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're told to, you know, be joyful when we're persecuted because we're standing up for what's right in the kingdom of God, uh-huh. right? But it's not saying that persecution to us is a good thing. It's just that we are to count it as as being right, able to right, suffer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so like it's kind of this idea of like this is the reality and here's how you live in it. It's not saying this is all good. It's yeah. just you yeah. can find the good in it. You can you can still be light in a dark world kind of idea. Um I've got tons of references here, though. I, I say tons. I've got, what, six um, references here that I found um, because I was thinking about this. Like, when we think about what slavery looks like in the Bible mm-hmm. versus what it looked like in America, um, you know, the last couple hundred years, what it looked like um, – what, what, what it looks like today in various countries – um, what does what do, we've talked about? What slavery looked look, look like in Scripture? Right. Yeah. What's it look like in the world around us today, though? Or you know, a couple hundred years ago, um, it was brutal. The slave had absolutely no rights. What? What? what you kidnapped a man. Yeah. Or a woman. Or first a child. of all, you stole them. You stole them. Right. Right. And so you would take them, and then you would sell them. Um. They might be – they would be beaten in a lot of cases, raped, abused, uh, torture was not out of the question. Um, I've read some pretty horrific stuff. I mean like sleep deprivation was a thing. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, like it, it's not uncommon or, or, or wasn't uncommon at least in, in American slavery to just treat slaves as subhuman and – the thing is, Scripture doesn't stand for that at all. Um, when we go to Exodus twenty-one sixteen, it says, "Kidnappers must be put to death, whether yeah. they are caught in possession of their victims or have already sold them as slaves." So what you see there is, if you kidnap somebody, you're to die. Even if you didn't kidnap them, but you're caught in possession of them, you're to die. <laughs> and then if we find out that there was somebody else that kidnapped them or it wasn't really you, well, they're to die too. Like, it, this is a zero-tolerance thing. So, in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 1.10, the law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders. Yes. And Paul uses a word there that means kidnappers. Yes. So, it's keying right off of that very thing. 100%. Deuteronomy 24.7, if someone's caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave... The kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. Okay? Romans 13, 9. The command... Do you you realize that 10 of the sons of Jacob sold their brother as a slavery? They should have died. So did... Well, but think... um, If you go by the standards of what a good trade uh, or what a good slave owner was to look like in biblical standards, uh, was it Laban? Uh, was uh, is it Jacob? Yeah, his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's terrible. 
It's terrible. <laughs> he did not live up to the standards at all. Like we see this over and over again. Like the yeah. Bible is not – it tells us these stories to show us people – are screwed up. We need somebody <laughs> to save us. Romans 13, 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever, whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said unto them, or this is Matthew nineteen eighteen. he said unto them, which, Jesus said, uh, do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Leviticus 19.11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Deuteronomy 5.19, you shall not steal. Here's the deal. Slavery is it's stealing a person. Mm-hmm. It's looking at a person. I mean, it's covetous, too. It's first of all looking at a person that has God's image in them and saying, there's no image in them. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up. Genesis 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men are in the image of God. Women are the image image of God. Doesn't matter what color. Doesn't matter where you're from. You're the image of God. And what that means... I mean, we could we could kind of hang out on this all day. Like, yeah, you're right. First of all, you're denying somebody of who they truly are, and that is an image bearer of God. And then you're looking at them like they're an object, which you could say the same thing for so much of our culture today, the way it looks at women, you know? The, sure. It, it, it's all about objectifying, objectifying women. people, right? And, and we do that. And then in the, these cases, these people would steal them and sell them, right? And all throughout Scripture, it's saying that's punishable by death. You are to die if you do that. And what's really sickening is in this country, slave owners used Scripture yeah. to support slavery. They would talk about it from the perspective of what we first talked about, what Israelite slavery looked like. Right. And they used that to explain away what they were doing, which was stealing human beings and then treating them like objects. Nothing like what yeah. God permits in in Scripture, right? Certainly no jubilee year. <laughs> right. No, it's disgusting. And so, I don't know, like, I just don't understand... I think the issue here, the issue at hand, is this is what happens when you don't read Scripture contextually. Yeah. Or when you deny it, when you deny Scripture contextually. You you can kind of make it say whatever you want it to, and people still do it today, and that's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So. Hey, let's let's come back to an uh, – topic that we haven't really talked about yet. Scripture does present the possibility of slaves becoming free. So how does that take place? Okay. Leviticus 25 says that a slave can be purchased, can be bought away from their owner by a redeemer. And the redeemer is typically a family member. Uh, Leviticus 25, 47 to 49 Um When I say 47 to 49, yeah. 
Suppose a foreigner or temporary resident becomes rich while living among you. If any of your fellow Israelites fall into poverty and are forced to sell themselves to such a foreigner or to a member of his family, they still retain the right to be bought back. Even after they've been purchased, they may be bought by a brother, an uncle, a cousin. In fact, anyone from the extended family may buy them back. They may also redeem themselves. Mm if they have prospered. Um, so there are two ways. You can be bought back by a redeemer. You can be bought back by yourself. Uh, if you have made and saved enough money, you can give your owner the purchase price that you were bought with, and he's obligated then to free you. In New Testament times, owners could free slaves, and that process was called manumission, the book of Philemon is all about this. The book of Philemon is Paul, uh, who has met a young man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave to Philemon. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon. Whether he ran away or however it was, Paul said, okay, we have some legal issues here. You are legally Philemon's property. You've got to go back. So Onesimus goes back to Philemon. And in the book of Philemon, Paul says this. It seems that you lost Onesimus for a little while, so you could have him back forever. He's no longer to be like a slave to you. He's more than a slave. He is a beloved brother, and especially to me. He'll mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul says to Philemon, free him. This guy is your slave. You have legal rights. Free him. And then Paul says, and then send him back to me. I want him here on my missionary team. <laughs> so, um, Manumission by the owner, especially uh, at the death of the owner. A lot of wills, last testaments, uh, provide for the freedom of all of the slaves in the household. Uh, that was relatively common. Hmm. So, now it's interesting that one of the ways Paul talks about uh, salvation in the New Testament is in terms of the Redeemer, uh, the one who would buy back a family member from slavery. In fact, in Romans 6, that seems to be Paul's entire argument. You were slaves to sin. Jesus paid the purchase price, and that price was his own death. You have now been freed from sin, so you can be a slave to God. Uh, salvation in terms of emancipation. Man, that's like, I love that because that just kind of levels the playing field for everybody. It does. It just says, you're, you were all slaves. Yeah. You were all slaves and now you're all free. 
In fact. And now you can be slaves to the one true master. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> where where everyone is good because even he's a slave. Even our true master is a slave. We're all slaves to one another here. Like I love that. So, so Paul gives instructions to slaves. Uh, one example of it. He does it three times. But one example that we're going to look at here, Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Now he goes on and he talks more, but he's he's saying, here's our reality. So live in that reality. At the same time, he says in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, 27 to 29, um, All of all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that all slaves were supposed to be freed? No. What it does say is that when we come into the church, it doesn't matter if we're Jewish or non-Jewish, it doesn't matter if we are free or slave, slave owner or slave. It does not matter if we are male or female. God gives gifts and he calls us all to serve him equally. So you almost get this sense that Paul is saying, okay, so when you are in your master's household, submit to him. When you get to church, you're on a very level playing field. I I think it goes beyond that, though. I don't think it's just when you get to church. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So the way I see it is slaves, listen to your master. But master, love your slaves. Yeah. Yeah. Treat them like brothers and sisters, not like slaves, like brothers and sisters. Um, you can take the same thing and apply it to the way uh, husbands and wives are addressed. You know, wife, submit to your husband, right? Right. And husband, yeah, you're the you're the head of the household and everything. Love your wife. Give your life yeah. to your wife. Exactly. So it's like everybody's in submission to one another uh-huh. in Jesus's way of doing things that everyone is just loving each other. And like, yeah, there's titles, but it's like, what do the titles even matter at that point? Yeah. Cause everybody's the same here. Like in that very passage where Paul says, slaves obey your masters. He goes on to say, masters treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven and he doesn't play favorites. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Like, because here's the thing. I mean, we're still, I, I think this is another example of, I don't think that this is God saying slavery is a good thing. I don't. No. But this is saying like, look, if you're, if you're a slave or you're, you're a master or whatever you are, this is how you need to live. And here's what, here's what's beautiful about that. God doesn't have to look at the master or the slave. Or he, I guess this goes more toward the master. But God doesn't have to look at the master and say, you need to set everybody free right now. What he says is you need to love them because then what that does in turn 
is if they really do that, they're going to recognize, well, wait, if I'm treating this person like I own them, then I'm not loving them very well. That's right. It's That's creating right. a mindset in people that it's like if you're really living by it, you're going to understand that there is no place for slavery in this kingdom. Yeah. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7.21, are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. If you get the chance to be free, take it. This is our reality. This is what is being thrust upon us in this particular culture at this particular time. Yeah. Live above the culture. So we have to address that a little bit. Yeah. Um, We talked about reading out of context, how scary that is. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Um, Some would argue that that's just the way we read scripture here in the West. Um, I think that's silly. I think that that is denying um, – I, I think when you don't read contextually, you can make the text say whatever you want it to say. Therefore, we it's have to read. certainly easier. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> and so um, I gave the example of how that's been abused by wicked men to treat people as less than people. You know, that's that's happens today. It's happened in, in history. Um, that's one side of it. The other side of it is – I'll call it what it is – progressive Christianity. Um, that's an oxymoron in my opinion, first of all. <laughs> um, I, I don't believe that you can put those two words together and make them work um, or at least not in the sense that we try to do it today. Um, I read a book in school called – Insights from African-American Interpretation by Mitzi J. Smith. There you go. Can't necessarily uh, say that I recommend it, but if you really just want to check it out, go for it. She is a Harvard grad, I'm wanting to say. I may be wrong. She's the professor of the New Testament at Ashland Theological Seminary. The author of Woman Assass and Backtalk, Social Injustice, Intersectionality, and Biblical Interpretation, and I Found God in Me, a womanist biblical hermeneutics reader and co-editor of Teaching All Nations, Interrogating the uh, Mathean Great Commission. Um, I have some real issues with this book, and that's why they made us read it. Um, which I was mad about at first, and now I'm glad I did it because I didn't even know that this kind of thought existed. Um, We talked about people using the Bible to promote slavery um, by twisting up the scriptures. That's one side of it. What Reverend Mitzi Smith uh, has done is she makes the claim that – Matthew 25, 1 through 13 is promoting slavery and, and several other that portions. That is the story of the uh, ten virgins, right? Ten virgins. Uh, she, she, she actually says in the book um, that you don't have to twist scripture in order to promote slavery and um, like putting down women. Um. She makes the claim that the virgins in the story are slave brides. Um, She says that they were tortured through means of sleep deprivation. And uh, she also makes the claim that if we call 
God's rule, like God's um, kingdom, by, by saying the kingdom of God, we're su- uh, supporting oppressive regimes because kingdoms are naturally oppressive in nature. Okay? Okay. Um, there are so many problems here. Um, I, I guess from the top, what bothers me the most is that this is building barriers in scripture where there don't need to be barriers in scripture, all because she's not reading contextually. What she does at the start is she says, I'm going to read this from this through the lens. She actually says, this, I'm going to read this through the lens of, uh, and I, I'm, I don't want to misquote her here, but she either says like through the lens of a slave or through the lens of an oppressed uh, black American. It's something along those lines. But my point is like she goes in wanting to see it from the perspective of somebody who has been oppressed. And then she sees it. And she sees it. <laughs> it's like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind right. of thing, right? Yeah. Um, it's just really strange to me. Uh, the virgins in the story to to say that they're all slaves because the bride is never mentioned. First of all, that's a stretch. But even if she's right, we have to take into consideration who the master is in the story. It's God. <laughs> it's God. It's Jesus. It's this isn't even a story about slavery. I think that's the biggest issue. This is. Slaves are being used in the story – or sorry, the, the virgins are being used in the story because that's the world they lived in. People had virgins mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. in their house that were usually you know, servants or whatever, male, uh, maidens. Um, and so J- Jesus is telling this story in a setting that people will understand, right? She's twisting it up and saying, well, because they're in the story, this promotes that, right? Um, wow. She says that since they're told to stay up all night waiting for the group, that's the, the sleep the group, deprivation. That's sleep deprivation. Yeah. And the, re- the, the way she comes to that is because sleep deprivation was something that would happen to slaves in American slavery. But she's superimposing that on top of this and making the text say something that it just doesn't say. And it's like, honestly, here's the funny thing. She kind of makes claims in this book and then she just starts giving examples from – American slavery, without ever actually justifying why the text says that at all. (laughs) And she does that over and over again, which is funny because later she even makes the example that there are uh, texts that are used to terrify us of what humanity can look like at its most evil. So my point is, well, if that's what she really thinks this text is, why does she think it's so bad? Shouldn't she agree that this is a great text because it tells us how evil slavery can be? My my point is, even if she's right, she's wrong. Um, like, <laughs> my issue here isn't with Mitzi Smith. Mitzi Smith is one of many, many people in the world reading scripture this way. My fear is when we don't read scripture appropriately, we build barriers between each other. Yeah. We, we, we could make the argument that it really does promote slavery. When... Everything we just told you about what Scripture says, everything we read from Scripture just now, would say the exact opposite. It does not promote slavery. And so my point is, like, this is happening in – well, they would say this is happening in the church. Um, It's scary. It's really scary. 
We can't do that. So to what extent does slavery exist today? Well, I mean it legitimately exists in certain parts of the world. I mean it just like it did 200 years ago here, just okay. like it did um, probably in some places like it does more in scripture, depending. I don't know. I don't know enough about various cultures. Um, it, it disturbs me that every once in a while I'll hear uh, – uh, I, I remember a couple of years ago a baseball player saying, uh, this is slavery. Uh, I've – uh, this this uh, uh, particular baseball team owns my contract, and I went out, and I can't get out of the contract. That's slavery. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're getting paid millions of dollars to play a sport. Um, that's not slavery. Y- you don't have to fulfill your contract. Right. You can walk away and not be paid, but you can walk away. That's your choice. Right, 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 right. Um Slaves didn't have that choice. Yeah. They were captured and brought back unless they happened to make it, make it to the Underground Railroad, which was illegal. Right. And so let me say this too. Um, we're two white guys sitting here talking I, yeah, about slavery. Absolutely. I recognize that neither Randy or myself have ever been persecuted because of – the color of our skin. I mean, right. and if we have, it's been minimal. Like, you know oh. what I mean? Like nothing of any significance in our lives, or at least in mine. Um, but so what What we're not trying to do here is say this is how African-American people should feel about slavery. Oh, definitely not. That's no. not what's happening. No. What is happening here is saying when we read scripture, we need to let this, the text actually speak for itself. Rather than superimposing our beliefs of what a word means, and that's or what not something means just onto the it. case of slavery. That's, right. that's across the board. That's what across we're the trying board. to do. Right. And so, what I'm saying here is, is as much as as much good as the progressive Christian movement claims they're trying to do, I think they're causing more hurt in the end. Because they're twisting up the scriptures and making them say things they don't say. And then it forces people to think that scripture is an unreliable evil thing when in fact it isn't. It, it's being misinterpreted by people you know and trust in some cases. If you would just listen to scripture and see what it says and in not, its and, original And context, not cherry pick. And not just cherry pick a verse here and there. Right. Read the Bible. Read it over and over again, and you will find it hates slavery. Yeah. It does not agree that some people are worth less than others or that somebody can be bought. If somebody tries to steal somebody else, they're to be put to death. Like right. The Bible is staunchly against some people being treated as greater than others because we are all servants in the kingdom of God. And there is one master, and he is good, and he treats his servants like they're his sons and daughters. Yeah. And that's the point of the Bible. And for us to, to to change that in any capacity is wicked and wrong and heretical, and it is not to be done. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I don't say that often. <laughs> very, very much so. <laughs> and so, so, no, we have no idea what it's like to be persecuted for our skin color, but we do know what the scriptures say. 
and we know what God says about how to treat other people, and to say anything else is a lie. And that's what it boils down to. So, read your Bibles, kids. <laughs> Everybody, doesn't matter how old you are, read your Bibles. Uh, you know, it, it's it's so crucial. It's so crucial. We don't read the Bible enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I'm trying way harder right now than I ever have in my life to just dig in. And it's so hard sometimes because it's a hard read, but it is full of such life. I heard a talk uh, today, actually, um, and I'm going to forget his name. He's kind of new to me. Oh, my gosh. I'll I'll think of it later. Um, but he said, if you go without breakfast, you you kind of feel hungry. And then you skip lunch, and you're really hungry. You go a whole day without eating, you're going to know that you went a day without eating. You're going to be weak. You're going to be tired because you haven't eaten. He's like, can you imagine going days without eating? What would that be like? You know, like you would you would be exhausted. He said, in the in a similar capacity, many of us don't read our Bibles, yeah. but once every few months, you know, maybe maybe not even once a year, you know, maybe it's you know once a week. But he's like, would you eat like that? Is that how you would eat? Like, what that does for your spirit, what that does for your knowledge about God's word, it's it's sad. And so we, I, I don't know. That was just something yeah. that struck me today. Yeah. I think if we would all lean on that, we would have a clear understanding of what God's word actually yeah. says. Yeah. Anything else to add? One other thing. One other thing, and that is that when Jesus came, according to the book of Philippians, he came as a slave. He yeah. took on form of man and the form of a servant. And when Jesus identified himself, he said, uh, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And he uses the word that means slave. So when Paul writes his epistles, the most common way of introducing himself is not Paul the apostle, it's Paul the slave. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, what if we started looking at ourselves like that? Yeah. That... That I'm not, I'm not, I'm not something special because I've come to know Christ. I have the honor of serving Jesus Christ and serving yeah. everyone else around me. That's a controversial concept to say, but Jesus made it. Jesus Himself said it. And you can't say He didn't. That's right. That's that's hard. It's hard to get around unless you just don't believe it. But you know, why are you listening to the, this podcast if that's the case? <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that was a that was a little bit of a tricky one, but I, I'm glad we talked about it. Uh, if you guys have any questions for us, please feel free to throw those to us uh, through questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com. And uh, if you're listening on YouTube, give us a like, give us a subscribe. If you're on whatever platform, give us a rating. Help us out however you can. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay salty. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.